When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Craig Parkinson and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on and grab your seat. You sit comfortably, then let's dive in. Season 10 of the Two Shot Podcast. Um, just before we kick off, uh, I'm recording this intro in a hotel in West London. And I'm sorry if um, sonically it's not as pleasing as normal. I'm having a few tech issues. And of course, I'm flying solo. And, you know, the main man, producer Griff, isn't here to sort things out. So if it isn't the best, then I apologise. But I'll tell you what is fantastic. It's episode three of the Two Shot Podcast with James Smith from Yard Act. Um, do you know Yard Act? Just, just pause this for a few minutes. Go search him out, however you listen to your music. Put in Yard Act. I need to say Spotify because that's what I do. Um, put in Yard Act, listen to a few of their songs and then come back, or or don't. You know what? Listen to this episode with James Smith, who is um, the lead singer of Yard Act. Uh, you're going to love it. He is... We've never met before, so I went to Leeds to meet him the day before we both pushed off to Glastonbury. Um, and we met up in Leeds, in the sunshine, al fresco. Griff was there, which was brilliant. Um, and we got down to it. He's good company. Very good company. Um, I kind of went, oh, yeah, I think we're going to be mates, aren't we? And, and, and yeah, we just sort of both felt like that. Um, and met up in Glastonbury on the Saturday uh, at their gig, at their gig. If you were there in Glastonbury, Yard Act made two. Well, they debuted on the Friday and then pushed another gig on Saturday. I was there, Williams Green, at six twenty-five on the Friday, and talk about a band 
coming out for their debut Glastonbury and grabbing the audience by the scruff of the neck and just telling everybody who they are. It was brilliant. Intelligent, funny. Everybody was just on the feet. I was... There were security guards at the back who I don't think knew who the band were and they were just completely into it. So massive congratulations to Yardak for their Glastonbury debut because it was just fantastic. Um, You're going to know more about Yardak, about James, about who he is, about what he represents after this interview. Interview. What am I talking about? It's just a natter and it was brilliant i'm a huge fan of yard act um their debut ep was brilliant their debut album has been uh put in there was a a piece in the guardian a few weeks ago saying it's one of the top 20 albums of the year so far i think it will make my list i think it'll make everybody's list um they're touring at the moment they're supporting they've just supported jack white after glastonbury they're everywhere go seek them hunt them down their live act is just brilliant i mean you're not gonna you know you'll pause catch your breath and go straight back in they're brilliant they're fantastic um and james was an absolute joy really lovely conversation um we did like an hour and a half. I think we could have done a lot more. I do love it, and it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, yeah, I do love it when someone who I'm talking to asks me a question or asks me my opinion or thought or viewpoint on a certain topic or subject of what we're talking to. And James does this a few times, um, so much so that I have to stop and think, I don't want to dive straight in with an answer. Um, But you'll hear it. It's great. I've been waffling far too long. This is episode three of season ten of the Two Shot Podcast with Yard Axe frontman, the brilliant James Smith. Enjoy. I'll see you at the end. Maybe listen to this out in the garden in the sunshine, because that's where we were. See you in a bit. Have you been to Glastonbury before? No, this is my first time. My it's first quite, time. It's quite, is it your first yeah, time as well? I'm, I'm close. Every time in the summer, because when you're acting, people don't acknowledge that you're a dad or there's summer holidays or there's half term. So I've just got to take the work when it is. And yeah, yeah. every summer, pretty much, I would have maybe a week off. And it's never been the time that Glastonbury's... Right. Uh, been free for me to go yeah. to, but this time it's like oh, I've got two weeks off. Have you had like rolled over tickets then, or have you? Uh, had no, a, you, you snuck no, in. Just sort of got a friend. Made some, made some yeah, calls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I'm so I'm going to as we're recording this. I'm going tomorrow, but I'm going to set off like five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, why? Is... Well, because it's that bloody train strike as well, which is just gonna. Are you I'm... driving or you... yeah, 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 yeah. But. Um, the thing is, I've got to leave on Sunday because I start filming a new job on the Monday. Really? So I've got to really as well. take it nice. Are you, are you looking forward to it? Are you going to? Do we have a bit? As you know, you're playing twice, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing two. Uh, 
Well, there was a few more potential ones, but we've decided to just make the most of being there and have a nice time. So my wife's coming. I've got I've got a kid, and he, we're dumping him on his grandma. So it's the first time me and her have been away without him. Because he's only young, isn't he? Yeah, he's just turned one. Right. So, like, we're going to cut loose, got all the band, all their partners have come in, and our crew and, like, other mates and management who are, who are mates, like, they're all coming down and... Uh, just want to make the most of it, really. So you're gonna see, you're gonna see it both sides. You're gonna see it as an artist, and you're gonna see it as a punter. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Gonna, uh, gonna, yeah, get stuck in. What do you think? That do you have any sort of preconceived ideas about what the Glastonbury audience is gonna be like um, when you're on stage? I don't know because I watch it on telly when it's on. Yeah, and I always enjoy it on telly, uh, and I don't know. Like I, I kind of love and hate festivals. In, you know, I, I do know what like, you mean. Yeah. Um, I, I, funnily enough, I, I like uh, I uh, desire and appreciate a large crowd in front of me, uh, but I don't like crowds. <laughs> so I kind of like standing near the back uh, yeah. and sort of watching with space rather than getting stuck in. Mm. Uh, I used to when I was younger, so I don't know when that changed, you know. When I was a teenager, I used to always be in mosh pits and that and yeah, crowd surfing. I remember one of my first gigs and I was right at the front of Ned's Atomic Dustbin in Preston. Nice, cool. And I, and I had, uh, I don't know whose T-shirt, I had a band T-shirt on it, it wasn't them. But I remember I was right up against the barrier and it was yeah, pressed yeah. on my chest. And forever after that gig, it just had a line there through the band T-shirt. Right, was yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So much press at the front. But yeah. now, I don't know, man, I'm 46. I don't want to be, what if I need to go for a wee? What am yeah. I going to do? I need to yeah. be at the back and get out. Well, yeah, you used to be able to hold it in. <laughs> Not anymore. I, no. And then I used to be comfortable just doing it in a bottle. And now, now I need to be near, you know. Space and access to toilets. Clean toilet, that. I mean, yeah. We're not going to see much of that, are we, really, to be honest? Do you know what, like, as well, I always remember that. I used to stand, used to get, used to go to gigs from the age of, like, sort of 13, 14 mm. on my own in Manchester. Yeah. And, like, you'd, you'd queue for the doors and you'd be in the top, in you know, the first 30 people to get into the academy. And you'd run and you'd stand at the barrier and then nothing had happened for 45 minutes and then three other bands would play and you'd stand through them all and then you'd watch the headliner play and you'd have been there for four hours crushed without having a single drink yeah or any any substances or any or needing a toilet break and you were it was the happiest i was probably happier then than i've ever been since consuming performances and music and i didn't need anything else whereas now i'm yeah, struggle not to go to the bar within a set. Yeah, it yeah. won't stay to the bar, but always at that nice to be at the bar. But yeah, I yeah. like an overview. I do yeah. like an overview. Yeah, and yeah. I like seeing... I took my mate's... My mate's daughter was... She said, oh, can you... Would you take me to see Idols? And I went, oh, I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit noisy for me on a Saturday yeah. night. But anyway, I managed to take her. And we were up above and watching the crowd. Right. I said, I'm glad I'm not in there. But, I mean, they were fantastic. I'm yeah, yeah, it. yeah. They're really tight and she had a really yeah. good time. Oh, that's ace. Yeah. And then I took my son to his... He's been to festivals before with me. How was he, 11, you say? It, it just turned 11. Is he into music? Yeah, lo but he loves, he loves music that I go, where have you heard that? Because I'm not what... I don't want to be one of those dads that forces... Yeah, yeah. 
yeah. taste on people, but he's just got into the Beatles. Cool. He, Off his own accord? No, they had uh, a 60s day at school. Right. So all the food, yeah, yeah. they were having, like, volivants and cheese and pineapple on sticks, yeah, which yeah. he loved, weirdly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were playing music and talking about um, the decade, and uh, he went, yeah, I've really got into the Beatles. So now he just loves Eleanor Rigby. He'll cool. just play it back to back. Wow. But I was telling him, and you'll probably know this better than me, I only just found this out, that John, I don't know if it was idea it was, but John asked Paul to write a song in his style. Do you know this? Yeah, uh, maybe. John not, asked no. Paul to write a song in his style, and Paul said, right, will you write one in my style? Right. So Paul ended up writing, why don't we do it in the road? Yeah. And John wrote Julia about his mum. Right. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know it until yeah. a few days ago. That's and quite then, interesting. And then you listen to the songs with that in mind. And I'm sure somebody's yeah, screaming yeah. now, listening to this, going, you've got it wrong. But that's kind of the story that right. I've got. Cool. And you listen to them, it sounds completely different. Yeah, no, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great exercise. I should try that with, yeah. with other people. But anyway, it's really... But his taste, he's broadened like He loves... He loves eighties music. Is that Stranger Things doing that to him? I think it is, but yeah, even yeah. though he, even though he's only just got into Stranger right, Things, okay. And we went camping, and he met some other kids who were into it, so they all got on their bikes, pretending they were in Stranger Things. Nice. And Very cool. I just think, yeah, you're all right. It's good. Yeah, being yeah. A kid. Stay, stay, yeah, stay yeah. as a kid. That's ace. Yeah. That's really cool. How's being a dad changed things? Like going on tour because to forgive, tell me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of where you're. You're earning yeah, yeah. money, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's really hard. Um, what emotionally? Yeah, yeah. It's physically, it's probably easier. I get more sleep, but like, it's um, yeah. I wish I didn't have to do it. Not for the just for the for being physically away, but yeah. I, I mean, we, we've got a fairly good thing going with like little and often. You know, I come back. Anything if we're in the UK, anything that's North Midlands come back yeah and you know we have a strict rule no longer than two weeks away if it's abroad and this year we just knew this year was going to be dialectic because it was album one and it was you kind of got to do it you know yeah. it's when you kind of put your well especially put your flag in the ground so we kind of knew what we were especially because things have just certainly from my side seems to have snowballed quite quickly yeah yeah during everything happening during lockdown and then when, yeah. when when was the album released january january yeah yeah and it's like yeah i don't know we've turned down some pretty good stuff for next year already because it's just like turned down going to japan like i was like can't can't do it something's more important yeah and it's hopefully there'll be another time i can do that but, yeah of course uh, but the thing yeah. is you can't you can't rewind that, no. that walk, no. or, and then you sit. Somebody's she's videoed it for you. And, oh look, it, I want that. Yeah. Well, I missed his first word, which was which was daddy. Oh. But but then you know, like my justification <laughs> of that is like you know I could have been, I could have been at work could have been down the, the road. You could have been at the shops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that you know I could have been out of the house when it happened and come back. So it's yeah. I mean it. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty tough sometimes. We just had like. Uh, we had two weeks in Europe and we planned, like, we had two days off either side of our show in Copenhagen, so I planned for him and my wife to come out and uh, she got, 
like, she got some, like, horrible, like, sickness the day she was meant to fly and they didn't come and it, like, it just meant it was, like, the longest I'd been away from them and that was pretty fucking... I was in a bit of a sulk. I didn't leave, didn't leave the hotel room for the day. Oh. But then, you know, but then I'm not, like, you know, you fucking... you just got to get on with it sometimes. Yeah. And my ambition is to, you know, not be doing this by the time he starts school and be a lot more selective and, you know... Do less for more yeah. later on because that's how it works. And also, you, you mean you you kind of know this in in the industries we we've ended up in. You you make hey when the sun shines. You don't you don't get to really choose like too yeah. much. You do a bit, but like and you can and saying no to stuff is empowering. But there is a part of you that goes you can't say no to all this because it's no. But it is. Yeah. I, I mean, whenever I talk to younger actors or even sort of acts my age you know it's taken me years to realize the power of saying no and yeah it, and it is important yeah to be selective i think yeah. from the word go because you know japan ain't going anywhere so not <laughs> yeah no that's it yeah no i mean we do we do say no uh sometimes you have to say yes to some stuff that yeah you would say no to because yeah. it's a job now and, uh, well, exactly. Do you see it as a job? I see touring as a job. I don't see performing and I don't see writing as a job because I love that yeah. and and it's validated what I felt. Like, I'm I'm 32 this year, so I've been chipping away at it since I was a teenager and I've always had this, like, mad sort of uh, lack of confidence uh, slash complete self-belief in myself where you think you're utter shit and then you think you're fucking brilliant and you believe that you've definitely got something so you don't give up on it and yeah. that's probably why you're 30 years old starting a band <laughs> again in a pandemic and you know and then and then all of a sudden it happens but like um when it when it when it when it started being the thing I do full time I, I was like yeah this it's I was I was right in my pursuit all of this this my pursuit of this is what I wanted and it and it kind of validated what I chipped away at all those years but the fact that you do have to make your money touring, it's not its not the shows. The shows are great, but that's an hour of your day. It's, yeah. it's the travelling. Yeah. Like, it's not... You, and people think you see the world, like, but you you don't. Well, it's like what you were saying when we started talking about Glastonbury. It's kind of rare. Because I, I have mates with a few people in bands and they go... We're coming in and yeah. we're playing and we're fucking off again. Yeah, we're not, we're yeah. not going to experience anything because we can't because the schedule yeah, yeah. is too tight. That's it's normally it, yeah. people flying and flying out. Yeah. So to get for you and every and everybody in the band and the management and the, and the partners and everything to have that time is going to be luxury. Yeah. You can treat it as a as as a bit of a holiday, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's a well earned, well earned end of a phase for us, I think. I think, and I'm glad that everyone's there. You know, it's uh, it's going to be nice. Yeah, well, because you've all experienced it together. Yeah, from from what's been going yeah. on, haven't you? And everyone tells me it's the best festival in the world. So it's Everybody got a lot to live me. up to. I know. I'm doing everything not to go in there like already like cynical. It. Yeah, because I'm. Yeah, that's now. I'm not like that that much really. But like sometimes you just feel like, is it as good as you're saying it is? Go on, then, it's like a, it's like its own town. That's what people say. Yeah. Oh, right, is it really? 
Right, is it like it's a dairy farm? Isn't it? <laughs> no, it's its own town and it's got its own culture. It's got its own uh, nightclub yeah. around that corner. Yeah, this part only opens for four hours on a Sunday morning. All this right, is the secret path that yeah. you have to crawl through. Yeah, yeah, come out the other end, but it's you're only allowed in if you've got a certain wristband. So you know. yeah, I'm excited about all that. You know, I'm when, just gonna have a good time. Well, yeah, yeah, I no, think no, I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. And do you know what? When we're filming now, look, if the weather stays like this. Happy days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good. James, when people and fans are buying tickets to your shows and you're headlining, it's one thing, right, because they've bought the tickets to come yeah. and see you. But when you're supporting another band, they've come to see the headliner, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Do you approach, do you and the band sort of approach that differently when you get on stage? Uh, as opposed to... Your own gigs, yeah, yeah. It's a different. You have to you have to reset your uh, your ego and and uh, yeah, you have to you have to win the crowd over. And it's I like the challenge of it. I like that's why I like playing festivals because yeah. as much as there might be a handful of people that have come to see us, there's a ton of people who will just wander up and a ton of people have heard the name or have listened to a song but haven't seen it live. And you, yeah, you kind of it's like being a salesperson. You're kind of pitching your style. Uh, and, and you know, showing what you're kind of capable of, and uh, I get a lot of joy out of it. And I like doing, yeah, slots that aren't our own because you can't. When you when you're doing your own now, now we're at a point where when we do our own headline shows, we can uh, kind of lean on the audience a bit to do the work, yeah, as much as we do it. And I think they want to, yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, which is which is handy for us when we're knackered, but like. Yeah, no, I love it. I love the challenge of it. Like, we did some... We did a couple of spots in Blackpool, actually, with uh, Foles. Yeah. and um, Lovely venue. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was like... When when they sort of said, do you want to support us and which, which of these do you want? And we picked Blackpool and the, the management's like, you sure you don't want to do Four Nights in London with them instead? And we are like, no, we want to do Blackpool. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, all right, if that's what you want. So we were like, right, we'll do Blackpool. And, and yeah, the venue was gorgeous. And, you know, I've a lot of fond memories of uh, Blackpool growing up, so I kind of... I didn't know in what other capacity we'd play Blackpool unless we'd become as big as Foles and can sell out two nights at the Empress Ballroom, which you can't see happening. But the... You know, they're, they're, you know, they're a great band, but they're, like, their crowd is probably fairly different to ours. Well, very and, different styles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and testament to them for the supports they picked for that tour because they really like... They went out of their way to sort of champion sort of newer bands and, and you know, it was all their choices. Like, they handpicked all the sports, which is always ace when a, when a band do that. Does a band always do that? When no. Like, do you lot, do that? For, we do that, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. It's probably, it depends. Like, sometimes it's like management will be like, or labels will be pushing acts if there's, you know, vested interest in them. Uh, but we always pick our own, yeah. But, and do you champion sort of up and coming new bands? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, of course we do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Can you feel it from the crowd? You know, when you when you start to win them over, is there something you can feel? You go, oh, I think we've got them now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a turning point. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. You just have to work harder, and it's and it's really funny. Like some bands are ace, and they they just do what they do and they they just it's like they're in their lane and it's like you're with them or you're not and they'll go up against 
a crowd that's not their own and they won't adapt or shift any part of themselves or their music to appeal to anyone else yeah. or their personalities. And that is like, that's ace, that's, that's what they do and, they, and that's why they have such a... That's why those bands have a defining sound and a, an aesthetic and an image that won't shift. Whereas you can kind of play with the psychology of people and kind of shift an audience's perception of you by just sort of toning a little bit down or amping a little bit up or, you know, giving them a bit of gratitude and then giving them a bit of shit. Like, you know, it's <laughs> like, it's all play. Yeah, 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 it's like it is. It's like, it's, a, it's, it's, it's quite a psychological thing, I think. It's a fun game to play because... Yeah, winning people over, it's not as it's not as easy as you... I mean, if you do what you do and you're good, you'll win over a certain amount of people yeah. and other people won't be into it. I mean, I don't know, maybe, it, maybe, maybe this analogy doesn't work, actually. No, I think it does because, I mean, I don't do loads of theatre. But yeah. I was telling my girlfriend the other day when we were doing a play years ago, it was just before my son was born, so it was like 11 years ago. Right. And uh, we'd moved to the West End. There was very little press and publicity. People didn't really know we were there. Yeah. And when you're doing a matinee show, it's the Blue Rinse Brigade, and yeah. they're all there. They've been forced to come. And you just you can sense it as well, going, we've totally not got them. We've yeah, not yeah. got them here. Yeah. And then I remember looking down at one point. There's three people fast asleep on the front row. It's like, what? what's the point? I've, we yeah. might as well just clock off now. It's yeah. just not, you can't win that back at all. Yeah. So no, I think you're right. I think you do feel it. It's just if you're up for the challenge, I guess. I guess yeah. with theatre, it's... I don't know, it's, it's, it is, you know, it's, there's only so much you can do as well. It is energy. But yeah. you can, you can... It's how you sort of... Inter- oh, I sound like a fucking right hippie saying this. <laughs> it's, it's how you interpret the sort of energy in a room and if you can sort of... How do you convert that energy into something positive that's going to make people feel what you're doing when they're not already feeling it. And it takes a lot. It takes free, even with our own crowds, it takes three songs before people are moving. Like, you have to put that groundwork in, you know. It's really, because like, I, I think most of your stuff's really good to, to dance to. I yeah. would have thought they'd be there at track one. It's some bigger shows, yeah, but sometimes, you know, smaller venues... You know, the bigger the room, the bigger the, the bigger the amount of people that are going to dance, the faster they're going to do it. But I think in smaller venues, there's a smaller pocket of people and everyone's a bit unsure about whether it's going to go off or not. And a bit self-conscious. Yeah. Small, yeah. Yeah, you have to kind of amp them up and... Yeah, there's a, there's an art to it. You mentioned before about when you were a teenager about tinkering and writing. So when did all that start for you? Or was it something you'd always done but i suppose when did you start taking it seriously music writing, writing yeah um because i feel so i feel if we took all the music away and we were just left with the lyrics mm. you could quite easily stand there on a stage and tell these stories right yeah do you know what i mean yeah i mean yeah i suppose i, I mean i remember writing i remember writing my first set of lyrics in primary school to, and I, I didn't play any instruments, so I didn't know how music worked, but I remember writing verses and choruses. Even, you know, I kind of knew enough about pop music to write and to rhyme, 
that was always something that I liked to do and was like this dir, dir, like you know two like stanzas like two and two yeah and then it was like and then I'd write chorus and then it'd be like verse two and I don't know where I picked that up from but I remember writing that young and then um yeah when I was a teenager I remember I, just, I don't know I remember just wanting to I remember like being in bands with mates and you try and write originals and like you know I, I was always the drummer uh, and the and obviously the singer or the singer would always write the lyrics and they just never really gelled and then I think yeah it was like Arctic Monkeys like I started writing in that style as a teenager because I understood it and, yeah and so I was like well you can write about these things and you know you'd yeah, just write about, you know, going out, going out to nightclubs in Warrington. Like, it's really fucking embarrassing, but but it was a start. And um, yeah, yeah. Then and then and then when I got to when I got to uni in Leeds, I just again I didn't play any instruments. I went to music college and I didn't play any instruments. I did a production course, right? And I, all I, could play, I mean, apart from drums, I played drums. So, but I didn't have any melodic. I didn't know how to write a song with a guitar or whatever. So I used to just write quite rhythmically and write, yeah, write beats and then write words to them. And but you were kind of still just on your own. Yeah, yeah, point. yeah. Yeah, never really. Yeah, I mean, I wrote lyrics in the band I was in at a teenager back home that I didn't sing. And uh, I was kind of finding my feet with it. And then I kind of just got this confidence when I came to... Yeah, when I came to uni, when I went to the College of Music and I found a band there called... Because you were sort of around like-minded people there, do you think? Well, because I wasn't, I think. Right. Yeah, I think really... I found a few people that I ended up forming a band with, uh, which was called Post-War Glamour Girls, which I did for like 10 years, which which also is a, is a John Cooper Clark poem, so yeah. that's probably wearing my heart on my sleeve there. Like, um, He was quite a big... I think when I when I remember my dad gave me his CDs and I remember being like, all oh, right, that made more sense to me than a lot of the poetry I was. I didn't. I was told I couldn't do poetry at school. I was told I didn't understand it by my English teacher. Really? Yeah, yeah. And so I gave up on that quite fast, and I thought it wasn't for me. And uh, so it's it's a, something I still carry with me now. Actually, is and I don't. I think actually what I do is poetry, but I struggle to say it is because I was told that I was doing it wrong. As a as a teenager, and so I was like, all right, well, that's you know, I got to see for that. I I'm not really doing it right. I won't, you know, I won't interfere on that anymore. Like, it's clearly not my world. Um, it's funny how those things stick with you, isn't it? Yeah, but, um, it's just the little things yeah. that somebody says. Because as much as you can have encouragement by, you know, say a teacher, it's yeah. only the other teacher goes, yeah, yeah, no, actually. This is how it's done. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You can't go outside this box. Yeah, which is yeah. Complete bullshit. Yeah, it's he's bad and, and and destructive for for a child. And I imagine now, fifteen years on, with the state of things now and sort of standardised testing and that, it's probably ten times worse. I imagine that way more creativity is crushed out of kids that are having a go than you know. Uh, would have been, would have happened 
Yeah. You know, um, it's funny, I've just been watching that. Um, have you watched Pistol on Disney I'm, Plus? I'm three episodes there in. You are. All right. So, you, so you've seen the, uh, you know, when uh, Johnny Rotten auditions for the band yeah. and they all laugh the reds off at him. And I was kind of like, as well as watching it, I know some of it's like semi-fictionalised or whatever, and the, the, the sort of structure's bent a little bit and all that, but started reading up again on the Sex Pistols, sort of looking at the backstory and looking looking at John Lydon's sort of story and um, looking at instances where, like, you know, it, he was kind of just, like, knocked down or knocked back and... Uh, and that was one of them. And I just thought, I mean, like, obviously he's a very defiant person who <laughs> went on to become Johnny Rotten and, become, yeah. and be John Lydon and always have his own fucking voice on everything. But it just, like, made me think, like, how many, how many times are, like, the kids give it a go and then someone laughs at them or tells them their shit and they never do it again? And it's like, what are we, you know, imagine if, you said this one of them hypotheticals, isn't it? Imagine if Johnny Rotten had thrown the towel in then, and 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 the, how everything, how the catalyst for, for everything would have been different. Yeah. You know, I know, I know it would have been someone else if it wasn't him. But it's just interesting those subtle things that we can carry with us, and yeah, just yeah, a lot of people, just a lot of kids, just not back very young, and then never. Oh, the amount, creates the the society amount of, we're in, the yeah. amount of people that I've spoken to in the past, certainly over the five years, and not even just on this podcast, just like in normal life, and they were told when they, when they said to a careers advisor at school, "Oh, you know, I want to, I want to be an actor, or I want to yeah, be a yeah. musician, or I want to, I want to write." You know? Yeah, that's all very well and good, but what? Yeah, you're gonna, yeah. What? What your? What's yeah. your main career going to be? That that sounds like a lovely hobby. Yeah, yeah, it's that, and it, yeah. How many poor kids have just gone, oh, well, maybe I should listen yeah. to this person? Well, yeah. No, actually. Yeah. You should follow what you're doing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not... not That's not, not really what... Yeah, for you. <laughs> it's not what, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's weird. It's... Uh, but, yeah, hang on, what was I saying? I got de- I got distracted, sorry. We all get distracted. We were talking about uh, that cartoonist, though, just going back to the pistol thing, and it's quite... Yeah. It's quite yeah, I'm quite enjoying it's quite it. Theatrical, yeah, isn't yeah, it, it is, but, yeah. But but I think they're all going with that style. And mm. It works. Yeah, I think it works. I think I'm finding it enjoyable. And it, I, uh, and it rattles along. Mm. Like, it's really well paced because fucking Danny Boyle and he's yeah, really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. He's a really good director. I, f- I think it's good. I know there's been a lot of backlash from it, uh, but I think it's just campy and quite fun. And who cares? If, who cares if it's slightly made up? You know. But also, yeah, it's it's that's sort of one person's version of a yeah, story. Yeah. So yeah. I've said this to before, but you know the amount of people that said, "Oh yeah, I was there at the trades club." Yeah, yeah. When the six person, and you weren't because yeah. there was only a very small crowd there. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. claims to have been there. It's funny that. It's all right with that story though. I've I just I think that pistol thing. I think people just dive in and go with it, and it's a lot of yeah. fun. It's a good fun ride. Yeah, it is a fun ride. I'm in. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, it is good. It's it's good, I like it. But let's push, let's just knit back to uni again. That was when everything started to sort of click into place a little bit for you. Yeah, maybe. I mean, 
I went to the College of Music because I wanted to get out from under my mum's feet and I knew that I wasn't going to... I mean, like, when I did my A-levels, I did all my pretend subjects, yeah. like theatre and uh, media and English and uh, music tech. And uh, I knew that... I basically... I, I wanted to start a band and there weren't that many people in Warrington and I wanted to start my own life and not be in my mum's house and basically just didn't want to have a job so I just you know got in on this production course and uh, spent three years learning not a lot about music production but but spending a lot of time using the facilities and making friends with a lot of people in Leeds who played in bands and forming a band and that in itself felt like my education yeah and um you know, and and yeah, you, utilizing the the library, all the CDs and the books and that, and just getting as much out of it as I could. It, it you know, it wasn't really a three year course. There's not too much you can say apart from learn how to do it and and use your brain. And and most of it, you know, most of production is uh, learning how to manage people and manage egos. I think more than it is about uh, plugging wires in. and um yeah, so I was doing that, and I, you know, started this band, and confidence kind of grew in that because I, I, I saw myself the, with it being a music college, and there being like jazz courses and classical courses and rock and pop courses, and then the production course. The production kids tended to be the ones who were a bit shitter on instruments and right. weren't trained in the same way. They were, you know, they were coming from a they'd done music tech at A-level kind of background, which was like, at the time, it was like you'd have Q... Do you know Cubase? No. Cubase is like... I mean, it was great. It was like sort of archaic sort of version of Logic or Pro Tools. Like one of the first versions that our school kind of had on a computer and you'd draw these triangles in on a grid to make drum beats and that. It was quite cool. And we were kind of coming from that and, like, learning that kind of side of it. And... um, But you know, also had guitars and was sort of picking up and learning and, yeah, started this this band with these people that are, you know, some of my best friends still. Um, and kind of learned as we went, learned how to write songs, learned, learned a lot about myself and what I wanted. I was quite... Um, how old were you at this point? 19 to 22, I was at uni. Right. And so you've been a lot of growing up personally within that time, as we all are at that age. Yeah, yeah, I think I did most of my growing up, sort of, sort of the ages, sort of, yeah, probably like, yeah, sort of into my mid twenties. I was quite, um, I mean, I was, I was just really fucking angry at the time. I was, I was miserable. I had, I had a fair bit going on in me, in my personal life that you know, I lost a friend uh, at nineteen. And I never really processed that. And then uh, some other stuff going on with that I don't, I won't go into. But like that, I, that again, that I realised that I kind of dealt with by pretending it was fine. And um, like looking back, I definitely kind of just swallowed it down and didn't really sort of uh, face it head on. And then I kind of did over over time. And yeah, I just. 
just kind of learned a lot about myself through writing, really, and that kind of led me to sort of that band sort of ending in a fairly good place after after four albums, but to not much to very little success. But uh, is that why you parked it? I think some of the others were ready to move on with their lives, and uh, you know, one of them is a, a, a sommelier now. Right, is that a wine taster? A wine pairer? There, one's a sommelier, one's training to be a uh, a music lawyer, um, and the other uh, is like a manager for like a music shop and that. So that, but you know, they were hitting a point in the. It's a lot to ask of people. It takes up a lot of time to I play bet. in empty rooms. Yeah. And, uh, and I got it. Um, but I would have carried on. Would you? I would have. Yeah, I mean, I did. Yeah. With a new band. Yeah. Like, you know, it's... Uh, it was something in me that I couldn't give up and fuck knows why. But I, uh, but I carried on. I started a new band straight away called Cruel World that did nothing but I just loved the songs we were writing and it was like the most mellow like Post War Glamour Girls was quite angry uh, but that's probably Nick, because you were quite angry quite probably, yeah. As, so the other thing was as it started coming to the end I started to come out of this sort of phase that I'd been in and I started to feel like I couldn't really deliver the songs anymore I couldn't really I also had that very uh, I think it's largely like quite a naive thing that you've that, that I feel that only musicians have no other like the tortured artist thing like uh, they really struggle to to think that you can do anything if it's inauthentic unless you're feeling it in that moment and it's and it is bollocks like yeah. but at the time I was like I can't I can't scream this song anymore because I'm quite happy <laughs> and that's how it that's how it kind of felt and um but yeah, we parked it in quite a good place and I was like, this isn't really the music I'm kind of making now. But then I kind of went too far the other way and started making this really sort of like soft Americana, like uh, alt-country indie rock with with some mates who, again, who are still all mates and I love, and I'd love to pick that project up again at some point when I'm not as busy with this, just for just for complete sheer love of it. Yeah. Um, but with that, I kind of, I felt like, I felt like because I kind of poured so much of my sort of personality into post-war glamour girls and got nothing from it, I felt like there was something wrong with me a little bit and that people didn't want me, but I still kind of, like, believed in the writing I was doing. So with so this you took band, it personally? Yeah, yeah, quite, yeah. I just thought, like, well, no-one's interested in... No-one wants to hear me going on. So when I wrote these songs, I got somebody else to sing most of them. And, like, and when I sang, I, like, sucked all the sort of character out of my voice and sang them in like the most monitor like the you know the plainest voice I could because I didn't want to like offend anyone almost like um which is quite the opposite to what you're doing now because there's yeah. just so much character there yeah and then that and then that that was like I don't know I don't think I would have got to the point that I got to with Yardats if it wasn't for first off Ryan who I started the band with encouraging me and like reassuring me that just talking in my own voice was all right and then, and then after that, just the reaction it got, you know, when it did all right on six music and that, and it was like, oh, people actually. And then, and then when it became gigs with people at them, it was like, oh, people just think they just like what we're doing. Yeah. And then, and then it's again, it's that thing I was saying, like, what going back to what we were saying earlier, when you kind of shot down, how many people are shot down don't achieve what they could go on to achieve? It was that 
as soon as I knew people, I had the wind in my sails, I started pushing it further and feel like now I'm starting to reach somewhere I want to be with it, more so than what we've already achieved. And I feel like I couldn't have done that without uh, support, which is pretty mad, really, because it makes you feel like you're quite, uh, you know, what's the word? Do you know what word I mean? No. Like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, like your ego is malnourished or something. If you feel like you can't do it unless you're getting credit and support for it and praise, like you feel like you can't do something about praise. But I don't know if that is the case. I just think people just excel when people do tell them they're doing all right. You know. But also, you must know you can feel you must feel it as well. Going, oh, we're onto something here. This feel. It, oh yeah. It By, feels. Yeah. This feels like a part of me. Yeah, yeah. Because there must be something that very exposing when you go, well, I've written this and now I'm going to put this out mm, there and yeah, see yeah. what the reaction is. Yeah, it's scary, yeah. Yeah. It is scary. Do you think you need to be scared? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you know, everyone's got to be a little bit scared if they're being truly vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, Exactly, which I think is key to being vulnerable. I think, and also, I think there's a strength in vulnerability. Yeah, but there's nothing, nothing worse. That's a silly statement, but I don't like seeing anybody actually, whether they're a musician or, or an actor. I'm just taking those two because yeah. it's what we do on the stage. And you go, you're looking from an audience point of view. You go, you can't give a shit. Mm. You don't care. Yeah. So it's either an actor who comes on the stage and he's just pissing through it, he just wants to get back, yeah. or it's a band that, that are so bored with their set, mm. they're just... How, how often do you see that when you're watching other actors? Percentage-wise. I, oh, I don't want to say I might offend people. Quite a bit, a fair yeah. bit. What I will say, we went to the theatre... Twice last weekend in London. So we went to see a play called Jerusalem. You're going to give away now by naming the plays. No, 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 know, no, this is oh, quite the all very good. All right, okay. So there's a jazz book with a play called Jerusalem that's just come back after like 11 years. Right. Do you know, have you heard of this play? No, I haven't. I think you should read it. I think you, good. you'd really like it. Cool. So there's an actor right. called Mark Rylance. Who, okay. I know that name. Well, I've, I was on the phone to a friend driving up to Leeds today because he'd seen it as well. Right. Um, we were still talking about it like four days after. Cool. Because we were going, right, we sat up one night in this hotel. We were on the Saturday night yeah. going back to it. Yeah. And then go, what about the ending though? What did that mean? That was quite ambiguous. Right. What do you think? Oh, no, I thought this. So you, you sat there having these yeah, discussions. Yeah. But that is quite the opposite of what I'm talking about. You see somebody come on stage and just take complete control over what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And they were alive. I know that sounds yeah, quite, yeah. Quite sounds silly to say, but you just went, oh, that's not Mark Ryan, it's the actor. This is this character who's just come out of this caravan. Yeah, he's yeah. washing his hair in this steel. He's got a massive hangover. He's cracking eggs and vodka into it. Then he's drinking it on stage. And you feel the energy from yeah, the audience yeah, yeah. going, oh, yeah. we were here. We're going to remember this. Oh, cool. And then on Saturday night, we went to see Oklahoma. Nice. But it was a complete retelling and right. it's really dark it was okay. the bleakest ending to anything I've seen right okay cool 
by the time this comes out, it's over anyway. But oh, they're all covered in blood at the end. Wow. It was like it turned into a fucking Pedro Moldovar film or something. Right. It was just... Yeah, yeah. It was fucking brilliant. And then I, I, even after that, we were still talking about that as well, going... Because it's just an old school musical yeah, where everybody's yeah, yeah. shiny and happy. So they still have the songs in it? Was it yes. done as a player? It was done still as a musical? the songs. Right, OK. One of the actors has got a guitar on stage because he's a bit of an actor muso. He was brilliant. Right. But they're all sat on stage. It was kind of quite Brechtian. They yeah. were all sat on chairs. Cool. It was very sparse. It was almost like a school hall, like yeah. an American gym. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're all in modern-day sort of cowboy costume, cowboy costume, you know, country and western sort yeah. of style. But at the end of it, after two days after it, I went, you know that lead character who's supposed to be really nice? He's a horrible piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, he was so narcissistic. Why would anybody want to be with him? And also, yeah. wait a minute, he went round to that other fella's house to talk to him about his funeral, about how he probably should kill himself. It was <laughs> horrible. But it was only when they'd sort of stripped everything away and he went, this is quite a dark musical where yeah, yeah. No, no real character has any redeeming features right. at all. Yeah, yeah. So no, that... That sounds ace, actually. It was, it was yeah. a really special a special thing to see. But That's I think great. because we were so blown away and still processing the night before... Yeah, Mark Rylance, you said. yeah. But and they were both brilliant. By, by see, well, I've seen him in anything. I feel like I know the name. So he excels at everything he does. I think. Right. I think he's brilliant. And he he says to himself, you know, he feels at most at home when he's on stage, and you can tell because it's yeah. like you, you you're witnessing something quite extraordinary. But he, uh, I think it was after the first bit of Jerusalem when it played out. He was in. He did a couple of Spielberg films like back to back, and then like well, I right. think he won a Best Sporting Actor Oscar okay. for right. Bridge of Spies. He's been right, okay. he's great on yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. But he, he's so it's just quite an odd face. Yeah, right. yeah. But yeah. you buy it. You buy everything. Yeah, yeah. So that's the complete opposite of what we were kind of. Just, I've just kind of derailed it. But no, no. Well, no. It's interesting because well, I mean, I mean, the thing that uh, a lot of uh, modern. Cause I'm doing quote fingers here for the podcast. Quote unquote post. Post-punk bands, as the press likes to uh, call us, is that for a lot of them it's uh, it's their aesthetic to look bored on stage. So you can't really tell if they're into it or not, and that's uh, you know part of the poker face of it, really. Um, so I don't, so I don't, I don't often. I mean, you can, but no, no, you can feel it through the music. Whether a band is you know stock still. You can feel when a band fakes it as well. Yeah. Well, so like I say, it's, it's just an energy, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know when someone's being a triad, but also people have different opinions of what a triad is. And some people might think, I'm a triad because I leap around on stage trying to get people amped up, but, you know. We'll have that. I knew, I knew we'd get some... I knew we'd get... Oh, yeah. dog, <laughs> some, eh? some, yeah. some lovely garage triad. Yeah. They, uh... But that's the thing as well, you can see it. You can see, you can see it when someone's faking it. Yeah, I can. Yeah. But I can hear it when someone's faking it. Yeah. You know yeah. when you, this comes back to listening to the radio. You know when someone's really trying too hard as a DJ on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Just tone it yeah. down. Just relax a bit more. Be natural. And also, you don't find that interview funny. You're laughing there, and that's the fakest laugh I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. You can just hear it. Interviews are hard. You get a lot of interviews where you know that 
the person isn't. Especially at festivals, you get you get shoved in front of someone to do an interview and they don't even know who you are and then they've clearly been given a, a rundown. And they're not even listening to your answers anyway. Yeah, and you just think, wow, who's this for? What are we doing this for? But, uh, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I'll tell you what, here's something interesting. How do you feel about... So, we're talking about... I think we've basically what we've said in a roundabout way, would you agree, Craig, is that people believe you when you be yourself, right? Yeah. Right? But as an actor, you're always being somebody else. Uh-huh. So how do you be yourself whilst being somebody else completely? Well, I don't think you are. I think you're being true, true to yourself okay. as an actor yeah. for the, without getting all like it, for the art form, right? Yeah. But your investment is in the character. So you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So that's you being yourself. Honouring the script. Yeah. And creating the character into three-dimensional sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's great. But I also see, talking about people faking it, whatever they're doing on the stage, if you're there in a live capacity, is people who are technically brilliant. Mm-hmm. But they're showing you how technically brilliant they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like that. No, it's, it's boring, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, boring. Yeah. It's, it's exactly that. It's not exciting at all. Yeah. So just jumping back to Mark Rylance on the stage, you did not know what was going to come out of his mouth. Yeah, cool. Right, right. yeah, yeah. It's, that's, yeah, yeah. The energy and the suspense. Yeah, yeah. And it's slightly terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But you're sat there. Yeah. Cra- with all strangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're all like that. <gasps> you're just waiting to see yeah. what happens next and what he's going to come out with next. And I like seeing that in, as I say, whatever capacity we're in, whether it's a band or we're on stage or we're seeing something. Yeah. Where do you stand on the podcast as an art form? <sighs> I think conversations in general are sacred. Like, we're having... I don't want to give it too much weight or sound like an idiot, but I do think so, because we're, we're having this conversation now. Yeah. It's never going to be repeated. Yeah. But I th- what I've learned... Because I, I, I was terrified doing this, because, and I've said this to, before on the podcast, but what... Certainly I, I can't speak for every actor, but what I always hated was the selling... Of the product. Yeah, yeah. So if I had to go on and do a live interview or a phone interview... Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you get... It's pretty like you... At festivals, you get yeah, asked the yeah. same questions. They don't really know who they are. They haven't seen it. But I was always terrified of being a, me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, you just try and hide as much behind... Yeah, yeah. Well, because you want to keep... Yeah, you want to keep your private... You want to keep your personal self to yourself. You want to keep a part of you... Not exposed as well, do yeah, you? Again, well, yeah, again, well, that, yeah. you know, and that's sacred. But it's not just for the sake of you, it's for other people and loved ones in your yeah, life. Yeah, you know? exactly, yeah. Even more so, probably, because at least you build up strength and you've got tools to deal with it, mm. whereas people aren't asked to be in this, might be yeah. affected, you know? Yeah, so yeah. it's happened to me in the past. Yeah. Um, but when I started this, 
it was like, well, I've got a... Listening is my job as an actor. Yeah. But this is very different because I've got to... And I've got to be myself because I can't fake it. Yeah, yeah. Because that won't be true to me. Forget about being true to yeah, a character. Yeah. That won't be true to me. So, therefore, it'll, it won't be authentic. Mm. So, I was just constantly learning to do this. Yeah, yeah. And it's... It's still a buzz and it's still exciting. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't carry on doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's night. I don't, and I've said this before, so forgive me, I'm repeating myself, but I don't think we have proper one on one conversations enough. No. You know? I, do you have those mates where, oh no, I'm going out with A because it's just me and them and that's what. That's how. That's our relationship. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got other mates. Where, well, we all get together. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do have those mates, and uh, yeah, those conversations are sacred. They are, aren't and, they? And um, yeah, sometimes it's hard to find the time these days. You know, well, I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, my own my own wife is one of them mates, and we find it hard to find the time at the moment to just sit down and back and forth. Like, yeah, when you get lost in a conversation. And uh, and you don't know where it's going, and uh, that's as exciting as seeing yeah. something on the stage. And you're going, I don't know what's coming out of the mouth because we don't know. Yeah, we're yeah, not, we're yeah. not. We're not planning it. That's Nothing, it. That's why yeah. it's just me and you now with some cup of tea and a mic. You, I've got no. Yeah, I've got no list of questions because I never want that. Yeah, of course. Because I don't. I wouldn't be listening. Yeah, and yeah. I wouldn't be looking. Yeah. And I think they're the two important things that I've learned. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It's been a, it's been interesting so far. Who knows where well, it'll go next? I'm sure it'll probably go downhill now after that, mate. <laughs> well, let's talk. Let's let's get into it. Let's talk about building Yard Act. How did it, how did it, how did it all get together? So Ryan, who I started the band with, yeah, uh, he uh, he, me and him had been. We, he was in another band called Menace Beach, knocking around. Leeds and we'd we'd played some gigs together and stuff and we were friends and we were kind of going to the pub a little bit yeah and um he uh that came to an end and he basically ended up needing somewhere to live and I said do you want to just come and stay in our spare room and um he was up for that and so he moved into our spare room and um He was going through a tough time. I think he's sort of on the right track again now, but, you know, I think that really bound us, him coming to live with me and me and, me and Linz and, like, looking after, you know, getting himself back on track. And, and it was in that time that we started writing... Uh, together. Together for a side project. Right. And... Um, Unaware of what this side project was going to be. No, we, there was no grand plans at the time, and there was a couple of, uh, couple of like other lads knocking around that had sort of, that sort of said they wanted to start a band, and so we kind of sort of set that up. And it was quite. I mean, it was called Yard Act, and we did a few gigs with it in the start of 2020. So that was sorry, that was like September 2019 to December 2019. <clears throat> Ryan was with Ryan was at my house and we were writing demos and then he moved out on New Year's on like the 6th of January or something and we did oh no we did our first gig on the 6th of January he moved out on the 5th and we did our first gig here 
right. Brudenell on the sixth, uh, opening for our mates band Big Softy, and um, yeah, we got two more under our belt before the lockdown hit. We had one track recorded, which we'd done with Bill Ryder Jones. Yeah, and um, Ryan's. We had we had like a decent manager straight away because Ryan used to be on a label called Memphis Industries. If you know it, I know. We've got it, like yeah. field music yeah. and uh, Mush and the Go Team and that. And so uh, they they took us on early and they sort of said like, right, let's well let's put this song out. And we were like, well, shouldn't we wait until we can all go out again? And they were like. Uh, it's probably best to just get it out and see what happens. So we put it out during the lockdown. Was that Fixer Upper? No, that was no. Trapper's Pelts that was called. Right. So that came out and there was a little bit of a bubble and a murmur and that was really nice, but, you know, it didn't really mean much. And then and then they were like, well, you know, there's kind of a bit of interest off record shops. If you can get a B-side done, we can press a seven inch and um, kind of get the ball rolling with them because uh, they kind of want to support you. And so Fixer Upper was a demo that me and Ryan had um, that that wasn't finished as far as we were concerned, but we sent it to Ross Orton, who did, like, uh, Working Men's Club and Arctic Monkeys right. and stuff. He was, like, a producer. Then we sent it to him to do a remix just to mix it, and he essentially just, like, turned everything up and made the drum kit sound enormous. And, like... And it was like my vocal. It was the first vocal I'd done of it. Like, there's loads of like, there's loads of like pops on the vocal and loads of me like slurring words and like and stumbling and stuttering because it was like the first take I'd done of that. It wasn't a. It was a demo, and, um, and that came back and it was just meant to be the B side to this <laughs> other song. And then it kind of all just took off after that, and it was mad. And we lost a couple of members um, in the process. They had another band going and, you know, they kind of chose to go with that. And, um, yeah, we had, we had like, new... We had a new guitarist, Shippo, come in, but we didn't see him because of the pandemic, yeah. so he was recording remotely. And then, like, we... It was all kind of building without any gigs. And, um... And also building without, like, forging, like proper relationships yeah really doing weird. all the yeah. things that you would normally do yeah completely apart from me and Ryan yeah. we were very very sort of bound together at this point and we're kind of that kind of just kept growing stronger and stronger and um, as this grew kind of our relationship grew in tandem with it and it was all really it just there was never one point where we weren't on the same page and that was quite sort of refreshing in, in a band Um. And then it got to the point where like labels were sniffing around and stuff, and we went we went down to Bristol for a week in January 2021 to, with this producer Ali Chant, who did the album, to see just to see what would happen because we were just trying stuff out. We didn't have a label at this point; we didn't know what we were going to do next. Were you recording in Bristol? Yeah, 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 near St Paul's. This studio is. Do you know it? Uh, well, I used to I used to live not far from Bristol. Yeah, oh, it's cool. Yeah, it's wicked, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we, I mean, we had a good time, except everything was closed. Yeah, it's probably why we focused on the album instead of getting distracted, really, which was quite nice. There was not a lot to do. We just stayed in this Airbnb, walked to and from the studio every day, and it was just me and Ryan. Sam Sam didn't come because of lockdown restrictions, and he sent all his parts remotely. And I, I ended up playing drums on the record because we didn't have a drummer at this point. And we basically just built the skeleton of the album in a week with Ali, me and Ryan. And then he came up to Leeds 
for a week and we recorded with my mate Rob and Ali there producing with Sam playing all his guitar parts and we finished the record in Leeds at a local studio called Greenmount in March. Still didn't have a label, didn't know what we were going to do with it. Um, But we're talking to quite a lot of labels and then, yeah, and then Ireland kind of like kept coming back and they were the ones that kind of got where we wanted to go with it and they took the album as it as it was at that moment before you were with a label you're doing all this stuff you're recording you're in the studio who's financing all of this ourselves right previous uh because that can't it can't be cheap the no studio time must be studio time ali was pretty chill about saying like you know pay when you can and we got funding from prs as well to right. do the album so that covered that right okay. but everything else it was like the first the first seven the first bit of press yeah mine ryan's old bands had like when we cashed out at the end of the day i think i think i came away with 180 pounds uh God knows how much I pumped into it, but that's what I walked away yeah. with at the end. That was what was left in the band's account when we when we called it a day and closed the account. And and Ryan had a, about 500, 600 quid left or something. Whatever it was, we just chipped in that money ourselves to pay for the press agent to promote the single. And then, um, yeah, management helped with the press in the first single. But then it funded itself from then on. The money that the first single kind of generated funded the second one. And then... Yes, T-shirts started selling online and we were selling T-shirts to America and stuff in the lockdown and it was like, what? Couldn't believe it. Like, I remember, but like, it seems... I remember buying a hundred... We had 50 T-shirts and they all went and then I, and then I, we bought 150. And I remember... that Actually, that was one time when me and Ryan had a slight argument. He was like, this is going to... This is a waste of money. These aren't going to sell. And I was like that faith will sell and we put them online and like they all went and it was like that money like funded the next stage and it was just like it's yeah it's impossible to do it without money but yeah. but for some reason maybe just that logo on a t-shirt kind of was bankrolling us a little bit I don't know we got lucky and were you surprised when America's ears sort of pricked up about it because I don't want to put onto a, a you know Oh, they, these are quite northern stories, but they're yeah. certainly quite British stories, and obviously I can hear that they're quite northern stories, but there's some sort of frame of references that they're definitely not going to get. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I feel like that about anywhere in Europe. Like, Ryan like Ryan sort of always says, like, you know, they don't have pound strop terracotta frogs in Germany. Like, <laughs> uh, maybe they do. Maybe they do. Yeah, Euro, Euro shop terracotta frogs. <laughs> I don't know what they're called over there. I wasn't very good at German at school. <laughs> it's not frug. That's uh, stupid. Um, the yeah, I mean, at that point, there's always a couple of like Anglophiles and early, you know, early adopters at college radio and that that pick up. So you know, they're going to places like Seattle and New yeah. York. That's not as you know surprising. But when American booking agents started getting in touch, we thought they were taking the piss. We were like, "It's how is it going to translate over there?" And yeah. then, and then, it, and then it was like. You know, manager was like, no, no, like, you know, below the mainstream, they they quite like British bands. They, you know, there's a there's a bit of a, 
an interest in it. So you might, you know, you might do all right. You, you know, because we were like, we're going to, like, we can't tour America. Like, we'll just lose loads of money. He's like, yeah, you will, but you should give it a go because it's an experience. And then, and then at the end of the day, if they don't want you, you won't go back. Yeah. And it was like, so we may as well make this once in a lifetime, like, have a go. But then in all the time this happened, obviously, like, Republican America picked us up, which is like fucking Taylor Swift and Stevie Wonder is on Republic. I don't know what. <laughs> wow. R A and R out there does us and Eddie Vedder. <laughs> so like, fuck knows what this. Uh, but like, you know, like you take it over pinch of salt. Yeah. Because it's ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, like, went on Jimmy Fallon. What the. F- what was that about like it's stupid how was that yeah really funny like we just like we just I don't know like I say we've all been around the, the block we've all been doing it long enough everything that happens now is just a hilarious bonus yeah stuff like that it's like I mean we take it seriously but at the same time we do take it with a pinch of salt I think you have to though don't you you can't I, be I serious mean, about same, that same yeah. my game yeah, it's it's a really funny thing trying to balance like like that because I mean it's it's like what are your core like what do you what do you want to be and what are your core beliefs like you know America in itself has a very an image that goes largely against what I'm I think I'm about you know and so far I've not been I feel like I've not been suckered into it you know. I'm not bothered about uh, status and financial status, and I'm not bothered about um, rubbing shoulders with. I'm, I'm bothered about it because it's funny. Yeah. Like I'm, bo- I'm bothered about like, like getting a photo with Jimmy Fallon because like, it's funny to show yeah. it to my mates. But like, but I'm not bothered in like trying to make friends with people unless they become. Yeah. Our friends over time, and you know that's not going to happen in that moment. And it can be quite a like vapid and world you can get sucked into if you. Have, have, you, have you been in America? Have you like have no. you been out? No. You not have any auditions out because I listened to this this one with uh, Martin Compton. Oh yeah, and when he was talking about his LA fiasco and that, I just thought like you not not been out there, not done any auditions around. No, I was. Uh, we lived in New York uh, when I was married because my ex-wife was on Broadway at the right, time. Right, okay. So I went over with the cat. Nice. Because we are going to be there for like six months. Yeah. And I, well, I'm not going to do it out, but I'll, uh, I did some auditions. For Broadway or for no, film for, or for, TV? No, for film and telly. Right. But I just thought, well, I'm trying to build a career over here. Yeah. And, you know, touch wood, I'm grafting, I'm working hard, and it's going all right. So yeah. I don't want to start again. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what I'd be doing. I mean, that's what, yeah, I mean, that's what we're doing. Yeah. When we go out there, the venues are 200 cappers again, you know. It was quite a jolt going from, like, playing to 200 to coming back and playing to, like, 1,000 in London. But I like the rush of that. I like it keeps you on your toes. It means yeah, you don't get into that mono- monotony. Like you say, a festival crowd's not your own, a sport crowd's not your own. You go to Europe or you go to America and the, all the venues are different sizes and then you come back and you can play to, you know, I mean, yeah, about a thousand odd people a night now for us and it's like, 
that's all like ace. But then like, yeah, it's good because it keeps you in check and it, yeah. it reminds you that you're not the the, uh, the be all and end all. Well, it's things like that that ground you. Yeah, yeah, completely. Which are really important. Yeah, I think it's important. I think, I don't know, I, I think it must be important to a lot of people. I don't know. I don't know. I like to see the best in people, but. Yeah. It's important to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to try, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, so America was funny, but we just had a good time with it. But yeah, they really went for it. And and, and the funny thing about America was we had a, we had a, a friend who... Uh, well, actually, I will just name him because they're a mate and it's fine, but they it was Ali who produced our album. He yeah. kind of said, like, just like word of advice when you go over there, he was like... Don't don't try all like the sarcastic like piss taking that you do because they just won't get yeah, it. Yeah, and, like yeah. and you know it'll go again. You know he didn't say it that in as many words, but he was kind of implying like that won't really it won't hit wash. the spot yeah. over there. And he was kind of maybe being a little bit careerist, like a little bit like you know maybe just you know think about like playing the game over there a bit. Like maybe I'm projecting a little bit because he didn't say those words, but no, that but kind that, of felt like kind of what he was meant. saying. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, and you know, I love Ali. Ali's amazing. Like, but that's kind of what he said, and and we just fucking doubled down on it. You know, uh, just completely took the piss, uh, and just yeah, just did not acknowledge that we were grateful to be in America until. But then we'd pull it back and say that we were, and then we'd like, you know, how did it go down? They love it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's insulting <laughs> to Americans to say that they're not capable of getting sarcasm and, and like, dry humour. Well, you know they love I mean? British humour. Yeah, exactly. The like, amount of American actors that I know that fucking just have a diet of British comedies, that's yeah, all they want. Exa- yeah. I mean, I guess this is like, though, again, this is like, you know, college towns and the coasts, like, you know, liberal cities that, are, you know, maybe their culture extends to kind of, like, British sitcoms and stuff so maybe that you know maybe like maybe if we hit like you know we were we were going to do some support slots with quite a big band and um you know it would have been it in like middle you know like ten thousand seaters in non in, yeah. in normal normal towns and uh like fuck knows how yeah i'd act in front of a stadium of middle american fans would have gone down but <laughs> you know um that obviously that's not happening but for the time being people are buying tickets to our show because they get what we're about yeah. we're not being I mean I guess apart from Jimmy Fallon we're not really being exposed to in places that wouldn't already understand what we're about so I think maybe it's not as big a thing over there at the moment but I mean playing Coachella was weird was it? yeah I mean why? well just because it's kind of like a sort of like influencer haven in it and again it was like you know like you know mate you know it's like k-pop bands and megan the stallion and billy eilish and you know rena sawiyama and uh and loads of other stuff but you know major pop acts and then us <laughs> fucking about <laughs> and it was so stupid it was just really silly but yeah you know we only had half hour set there so it was just like, yeah, prancing around. Just, I don't know. I don't really know what's going on. I'm just kind of enjoying it. I, think I can't you should, see I it. I think it. you should just carry on enjoying it. Yeah. James, this has been brilliant. I feel we've got 
so much more to talk about. Maybe we should do this again in a year and see where we're all at in a year's time. Yeah, yeah. yeah? See if the venues are smaller or bigger <laughs> in America. This has been brilliant. Thanks so yeah. much, man. No, cheers, Craig. Really Enjoy enjoyed that. your Glastonbury. Yes, yeah, see and you I there. Shall see you there. Yeah, class. Nice one, mate. And another episode is done. What did I tell you? You know how I've always said about this podcast over the years? It's about sitting down and getting to know somebody and just seeing what clicks. Sometimes things fly better than others. And I think this is a true representation of certainly what we set out to do is get to know somebody, get to know somebody. And you know what? Maybe it'll click. And you know, this really did. It really did. Um, I met up with James and met his lovely wife and friends at Glastonbury and his friend, fellow musician, Katie J. Pearson, who I saw on the park stage. She's brilliant. Go check out Katie J. Pearson's music. Uh, I I believe I'm right in saying she's a Bristol-based musician. Anyway, doesn't matter where she's from. She's fantastic. Um, and yeah, we ha- we all had a fantastic first Glastonbury. So I think we'll probably just go back there next year and do it all again. Yard Act are on tour now. They've been supporting Jack White and Foles. Incredible bands. Um, go check them out. Um, myself and past guest john sim uh will be in brighton seeing yard acts in november so if you're there come say hello but yeah just yeah check them out if you can live they are something else james's energy the band's energy just uh yeah they're not taking any prisoners i love it so what we're gonna do next week i don't know i really don't know because I haven't recorded it yet. Um, I'm busy filming this new series, but I'm going to get on it. We will have something for next week. I will not let you down. Do not panic. Pass this episode over to other people who may not know Yard Act, may not know James, may not know the podcast. Maybe they'll like it. We'll be back with you next week. I don't know what it will be. We'll be back. Right, I'm going to go to bed because I'm shattered. Thank you so much for downloading and subscribing. You know it means a lot. You know where we are. We're on the socials. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I don't even need to say that anymore, do I? Do I? You know where we are. Um, Hit us up with messages. If you enjoyed it, do let us know. Right. Um, I'm going to go for a bit of a soak and a bath. A bit of a soak and a bath. No, just a soak. And then straight to bed. Until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care. The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson. Recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Valor. Cheers.